the effects of leaving the Caribbean, even if it's for a short time, even if it's to get education, how you are scorned, so to speak. Even, mm-hmm. if, even if you were to return, you would never be a true Trinbagonian. Your yeah. perspectives, your different lens of looking at things, mm-hmm. your different ways of doing at things, robs you of the ability of being a true, authentic Trinbagonian. Welcome to the Caribbean Millennials Bacchanal Abroad podcast, the show that brings you one step closer to realizing your dreams of moving abroad. I'm your host, Anika Lee, and every Saturday I'll be bringing you real, inspiring conversations about travel and life abroad with Caribbean millennials from across the diaspora. Are you ready to redefine the way you travel? Let's get into this week's episode. Oh, oh gosh. Please, guys, just go ahead and introduce yourself, everybody listening to this episode of Bacchanal Abroad. So I'm Paige Andrew. I'm currently in Athens, Ohio. Nobody knows where Athens, Ohio is, really. No. <laughs> it's a small college town in what? South? East? Southwest? I really don't know, but it's South Ohio. Um, <laughs> with a very small population, an even smaller black, black population. And I'm mm-hmm. here. I just finished my master's at Ohio University. Congratulations. Congratulations. You know, <laughs> stay safe. I'm Jesse. I am currently in Brooklyn, New York. I am from Shugonis, Trinidad, the mainland. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, the Dominana. <laughs> Which part of Shugonis? Don't say Shugonis so broad. <laughs> from Orangefield Road, Chase Village. <laughs> just like that. Just- <laughs> It's like Athens. I don't think anybody knows where the hell that is unless you Yeah, know. I was like, where? <laughs> exactly. But I was like a typical tongue girl, so like I, I don't know nothing past the light. I was like, <laughs> no, I real sorry, but all I know is tongue, Gonzalez, and my arrow. That's it. Like my arrow? How? Exactly. So everything in between that, I have no idea. <laughs> you are a master. Wait, I never got the opportunity to big up. People from Pretty Valley, Diggle Martin, where I am from. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we were having a conversation earlier on if you're from the hood, because I know I'm from the hood, Akila from the hood, and Nikoli from the hood. Who, you, me? You don't know where's the hood in um. Okay, that was like, mm mm. I know we don't know. I've logged in. I live in um, Charlotte, North Carolina, United States. I'm from. Enterprise Shagonas. All right, great. So let me get on. Let me get on to business, Jesse. Tonight you the host, right? Am I? Okay, well, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I just wanted to have a conversation with people who are who are away from home during this whole COVID nineteen experience because it has been a whirlwind of emotions, roller coaster after roller coaster. Um, some days I'm happy, some days I'm sad, some days I'm traumatized. Mm. Uh, most days traumatized, but I just wanted to know how we were dealing with it, um, different parts of the world away from home. And then, of course, later on, if we have time, if uh, Anikali doesn't start to yawn, uh, <laughs> we could talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, how it's impacted us in different states and regions that we're in, and also our perspective of Black Lives Matter or observing it at home from abroad, from the outside looking in? Um, I definitely on board. I don't think I've lost it before then. I feel like it's a very important conversation we need to have. <laughs> so uh, I'll stay awake. 
But yeah, so for me, mm-hmm. I don't know, um, like with the whole coronavirus thing, um, COVID-19, sorry, let me use the right terms. Um, yes, yes. I'm, I'm living, yeah, I'm living in Madrid, Spain. Like I've been here for the last three years and I don't think anybody when you're going abroad, it is expect to end up in a situation like this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like for me, I saw it coming. But most Spanish people, just like the way that they live their life, because Italy's right next door. And so when Italy went on lockdown and we were still outside, like enjoying life as we should, but still I was just like, people was coming back from Italy and saying, and I was like, excuse? Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> nobody, nobody going to be checking this. And then they had like the big women's match. And yes, that's an important cause. But I was like, that should not have happened. And immediately mm-hmm. after that, like, so that was the Sunday I think the next week we went into lockdown because the numbers just like exploded. And it's just like weird for me being like, you know, growing up in the Caribbean, I lived there my entire life and you see things happen on TV and it's like, yeah, it never reaches us. And then you in the middle of it, it's like, wow, this is real life. Fortunately, I, I feel like I have like a very strong community out here. And, like, we would check in on each other. And, like, I don't live with, um, like, any friends or family or anything like that. Like, I live um, alone. Not alone, alone. Like, I live in people's house. But, <laughs> like, I just live in here. Like, you know? <laughs> and so, like, so for me, it was... It also kind of feels, too, like, looking back at it, like, it, it didn't really happen. Because, like, now we went back to, quote-unquote, normal. Right. And I just feel like... It was a blur, but at the same time, I know that when I was in it, like you said, like some days were good and some days were, most days were not that good. So yeah, that's where, like right now, looking back, I, I can't even like put into words what I experienced was really like. It's crazy. Me, my perspective living in New York, because I know right after uh, Wuhan being ground zero, as they call it, and then Italy being ground zero, the, the usage of that, of that word was the next stop was New York. Everybody Mm -hmm. thought it's like ground zero. It's going to be crazy. Of course, uh, my parents were not um, the strongest. (laughs) They both were super concerned. My my father actually called me to uh, tell me about, of course, scriptures that he believed would protect me and stuff like very cute stuff. Even like friends and family generally, everybody thought that I was basically in imminent danger like I was literally going to get COVID and die and they would not be able to come and actually see my cold body I am happy to say that I never felt that way I don't mm-hmm. know like if living I feel like if being in the situation itself personally you have a different perspective and outlook on it um, Americans and New Yorkers specifically are very do your own thing and they aren't really affected directly by those things uh, at first i was home all the time and yeah. i i was home all the time not going to work not doing anything staying locked myself indoors what is a trini so as much as we had hurricanes looking in the caribbean or wherever we just never experienced that so to me i felt as if it was going to be like that so much yeah. so i booked a trip to Puerto Rico in April because I was going to be living life, you know? My trip was going to come to fruition and I planned to go home at the end of April too. So although I know it was happening and to everybody else, New York is like that place where you shouldn't be, 
to me, I was just doing the damn thing. I was doing whatever I wanted until it became intense. And like most of my friends uh, who work in like retail and other places or whatever, they were either laid off or told out the stores are going to close. And then it started to hit home that, okay, this shit is real. Now, a few months later, we are almost back to normal where I see more people. Um, as I live near to the beach and it warms up in New York, like everybody's on the beach almost every day. Uh, a lot of restaurants are having people on the outside. That's not to say that the numbers are down that much. Uh, but I think people are just tired of staying indoors. Yeah. And Americans generally are custom, just like Chinese, spoiled. They want to do what they want, when they want. So they don't care if there's a pandemic out there. They want to go to the restaurants. They want to go to the barbers. They don't care. So I think it's almost back to normal, not legally. But I think for people, they're done. <laughs> The quarantine. They're like, oh, I'm going to go outside. Everybody's doing what they want. As I said to me, the beach, when I escaped to the beach, um, although I shouldn't be on the beach, they, it was like business as usual. I would say people were distancing on the shore, but uh-huh. I just didn't expect to see that much people there. But I think for the most part, it's more severe if you look at the news as opposed to walking around wherever you live immediately. In the yeah, world. that. Because from the news, when it, all they talk about is like the numbers and the grand scheme of things. But when you talk about it, like from your personal experiences, like on your block or in your immediate neighborhood, it's not that scary. Yeah. So wear your mask and wash your hands or whatever. But last week was the first time I had like a social gathering where I was around a lot of people. I mean, not a fat, but like at least five or six people. And I probably would be doing the same thing too. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I feel way more comfortable now. I'm just waiting to see how soon we can get back to quote-unquote normal again. Um, I feel like I was really feeling what um, Hanikali was saying about feeling like it was a blur and not really trying, not really remembering everything that happened between March and I want to say maybe like early May. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, this is my last semester. So of course I have my whole rest of the year planned out like graduation was supposed to be in May and then I planned mommy was supposed to come we were going to do a little traveling around the US and then I planned to go to Jamaica for a week and then the first week of March was spring break and I I love to travel so usually I wouldn't be here if God alone had me here like I I, I was this much away from booking a trip to Puerto Rico because the ticket was like 150 US return for your girl listen your girl was ready, like this much away. And I don't know why I didn't do it. Like, I didn't have a good reason. But somehow I ended up being in Athens for spring break. And uh, literally the week after spring break is when the university decided not to, call, not to um, bring students back in. So that was right. the beginning of everything. And uh, so the end of my semester was online learning. Thankfully, I had, like, defended my thesis and stuff. So, like, on a student drive, I was fine. But it was craziness, and I remember waking up one morning, and um, because I'm not here, it's not like I live in the U.S., I'm here on a J-1 visa. So really, I was supposed to leave the U.S. in early May. So I remember waking up one morning in March, and somebody on Twitter telling me that Trinidad is going to close their borders, and they have like two days to get home. Yeah. So I was so frantic. Cause, but you know the thing is, even, in that, even back then, when they said Trinidad was going to close their borders, I knew it would be closed for a while, but I really, I don't think at that point I was anticipating what COVID would do to the world. And I wasn't anticipating that the borders would still be closed to this day. 
So I was there looking for tickets or whatever, but all of the tickets were making me um, overnight in New York. And as Jesse was saying, New York was not the place to be. Like, nobody wanted to be in New York. So I didn't want to overnight in New York. And I also was thinking about traveling at that time, possibly getting COVID, going home, because at that point, they weren't quarantining people, going mm-hmm. home, infecting my family, that kind of thing. So me and my, I want to say my dumb ass, because I, at that point, <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a well thought out um, decision. I decided to stay. Because in my mind, I was like, all right, I was just chill here for a little two months, and then I'll go home. Nope. As you can see, I'm still here. Yeah. So I think, honestly, it was dealing like emotionally and mentally with making a plan, as everybody had to, making a plan, and the plan literally just dissolving in front of you. Right. So for me, um, I can think about like the week where we were supposed to have graduation was a really hard week for me because I was so, you know, it's so much excitement after finishing your degree or whatever and wanted to have that experience. So that specific week was really hard for me. Um, and I think after graduation, so I started work, but started work remotely. And thank God for that because I'm busy during the day. So I do, I'm not just sitting down, kind of thinking of everything going on. But even with that, it really had a toll on me mentally and emotionally. Because I felt stuck. I think one of my biggest things was something happening to someone at home and me literally not being able to leave the US to go home. Um, so that was really frightening. And it still is, because it still is my reality. In terms of not being able to go outdoors, boy, I don't know. I feel like I remember in, when was it? Early May, we went to drop off one of my friends to the airport and the airport was literally like a dead zone. There was no one there. And then last week, I went to um, drop off my roommate and everything was back to normal. And I think that's kind of echoing what Jesse was talking about. With uh-huh. I think we were locked down like mid-March to April and people were kind of fine without being locked down. Like you would go out for walks, everybody masked up, everybody looking scared. But really, I think almost overnight, it just kind of switched. And it wasn't that the numbers went down. I think it was a mixture of things. It was um, definitely the Black Lives Matter um, movement, I think, did have some impact there were people feeling more comfortable in spaces because they felt like it had to be in spaces um i also think after a while people were just like they were just done with it they were like i can't stay home any longer i you have no home i have no job i have all these children if you do have children i have all these annoying partners if that's not reality but i think after a while just as humans we needed to get out um and in some spaces like here because it's a college town where i live if i go down the road now i all the bars are open Everybody drinking, people getting drunk. Um, the cases have been rising here. The good thing about here was that I was always able to go out because I think in March and April, the number of cases were like 18, which is like nothing compared to other places around the world. Yeah. And right now it's in its 30s. But people are really, like life has honestly kind of gone back to normal aside from seeing people with masks if they feel like wearing masks. So I think that, that has been my experience. And well, I still have all my own frustrations about being locked out of Trinidad as much as I understand the um, reasoning for it. Well, for me, like, I think, like, I know New York itself was a little different. Their their system, like, they rely on public transportation. I live in the South. We have our own cars. So we weren't really pressed as much to, like, socially distance because that's what we do every day. You know, we don't have to walk to work or train or bike or any place. So we just drive everywhere. So the early part of the, um, the COVID-19 situation wasn't a much big of a difference on a social aspect, I would say, here, like in Charlotte. But I, also, I work in healthcare, 
and I work in like our only trauma one center and it's a thousand bed hospital. And then I know we just start getting these mass emails like saying, Hey, we are getting prepared for this surge, getting prepared for this surge. They're restricting our hours. Like we can't work over time. We can do certain things. They remove the hospital system that I work for owns like 12 hospitals in the surrounding area within like an hour. So they were removing all the non-critically ill patients from the trauma one center to like auxiliary hospitals to prepare for the COVID patients. So socially, I knew it was, it didn't seem like a big difference, but I was working and I'm seeing like all the preparation that was taking place and seeing the numbers that was coming in and getting all these different um, protocols and trainings that were changing for us. So I felt more nervous just because I knew the reality of the situation and having to go into, you know, the employee entrances are changing, you know, temperature checks, like, you know, routine emails about, oh, someone had exposure to COVID, everybody has to go get tested now, you know, as staff or, or whatever. Um, so that was a little different for me because I, I took it more seriously because I knew what could happen and how the hospital couldn't really take care of this population like charlotte alone our population is close to two million and we have a thousand bed facility and then for when it came to home um i was more nervous because i knew what trinidad could not physically care for the population home if people get sick right. and you know home we don't take really great care of our health you know we you know we live in we just drink some lemongrass tea or you know Ponga ginger, garlic yeah. here, you know, yeah. we find with that kind of treatment. And I'm like, no, this is not the pong, no, don't give me no ginger, don't put no garlic in your pillow. This is real life medical emergency. If God yeah. forbid something happens. So when the, um, when the country shut down, I was very, very, very glad they did it. Because again, w- there's so many Trinidadians that live out of Trinidad and we live in the most strangest place. Like, we all live in the most like hotspot areas, I guess. Like, yeah. Can you imagine us just going back home, going mm-hmm. to our families and bringing this virus? Yeah, I was so glad when it happened because I'm like, you know, we protecting our we protecting our own because I think we only have like less than a hundred ICU beds in Trinidad for 1.3 million people. That's mm-hmm. no way. And then when um, Barbados had complained that the U.S. had you know seized the ventilators from them. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, we, re- we really can't afford for anything there. So I was happy that I was here in America where I know like the healthcare system, I'm, I feel more comfortable with like the, the care that I would have been given, God forbid, if I got, had gotten COVID, but I was also scared for my family and people yeah. home, God forbid, they did get, you know, um, exposed to COVID and we had a, a increase. And I remembered living home under the curfew, under, um, you guys, Prime Minister at that time, Kamala. And wow. <laughs> Listen, wow. <laughs> and she went, remember when we, I remember, I remember going to a curfew party in Trinidad. I remember, <laughs> I, I remember going to a curfew party in Trinidad. I remember going to a hurricane party in Trinidad. I, was like, I just hope these people don't have no COVID party. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that was my experience there. And now just, you know, we live, um, North Carolina is like very, um, have a lot of nature parks, a lot of, we're not, we're like two hours from the beaches, but we have a lot of mountains, like the Blue Ridge Mountains, a big tourist destination. 
and we have a lot of breweries and Americans love beer for some reason. So they <laughs> here it's like I'm scared for the Fourth of July weekend because mm-hmm. everyone is at the beach, everyone is at the lake, everyone jet skiing, everyone drinking a beer, and no one social distancing, and I they do like, not wear masks. Yeah. So for for people like me who are not in the U.S. and we're looking at like people protesting, not being able to uh, go and get haircuts, people <laughs> like mad because you're infringing on my rights, and I don't want to wear no mask because I can't breathe. Um, what what is that like for for you? Like ugh, for me, when I watch the news, I'm just like, are they dumb? You guys live with them. Like. <laughs> yeah, they are dumb. You know, I, I, I am not an American, so I don't really know how they feel about their people. I was, I was tell people, I am no American. However, uh, I know there's a shared dislike for Florida. Florida seems to be that one neighborhood that nobody likes for many reasons, political reasons, social reasons. They yeah. are terrible. Um, so I think when it comes to Florida, yeah, everybody is like, but when it comes to New York, my first concern when it had the shutdown, I, I automatically thought to myself and I told everyone, I don't know how long people are going to be inside. Because as I said before, like Americans in general, they're accustomed to doing whatever the yeah. hell they want. Yeah. You don't get their way, they'll sue you and they'll win. So, <laughs> and they'll win. Those are going to be flying left and right. And then I would frequent places like Soho, where all these stores were like preparing for not riots that came with Black Lives Matter, but they were preparing for looting. So Mm. when they shut down New York, all the shopping places or whatever, they started boarding up their doors and their windows in anticipation for people looting. Because I thought that eventually, as I said, with so many people being laid off, that now there's poverty in Trinidad, where you're poor. I say so you could tell a cookie, everyone has sugar cake and make a little dollar. And it had poverty in New York. I remember seeing a video where when it just when Trinidad just shut down, there was this car passing around playing the song from the purge. And I was like, first of all, don't make no jokes because I know those things are reality here. Because in Trinidad, if you have a gun, like you it's an illegal gun. But yeah. Here they're illegal guns. No matter where's your IQ, baby, <laughs> you can get a gun. Anybody and everybody can have a gun. So my, yeah. I, that's one of the things that I thought about. Um, as for people not being socially responsible and wearing masks, the um, the people who just don't wear it. I work in a bank, and there are people who we have to curse out. We're not really cuss, but every day they challenge us. I mean, this is what they talk about. They quote. There's a particular act, apparently, that forbids people to wear face coverings in bank. So the manager is like, he feels as though he's obligated to not tell them wear the mask. And then there are people who talk about it's not a law. And it's literally not a law. It's like a recommendation. Legally, you can't make people wear masks. And this is how Americans are different from the rest of the world because they are so committed and... I don't know. They just attach themselves to this whole thing of justifying what they want to do based on their interpretation of laws, acts, and, yeah. and their constitutional amendments and stuff like that. They are not wearing masks, as you can see from protests in Florida and stuff like that, because one of two things. 
they legally don't have to do it and it's an infringement like you're infringing their, their their rights or two the crazy people in florida who's saying that wearing the mask is actually the country grooming people for satanism and it's <laughs> nobody said that stop lying um yes yes and it's it's disrupting god's Breathe, pure breathing system. Breathing system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw it. Yeah, I really thought it wasn't real, but it's real. It's real. This is people with real conviction that we're real money is bringing right? us for Satanism. How the do land you, of the free. Exactly, the land of the free is problematic. How do you have a discussion with someone who thinks that wearing a mask protecting not only yourself but others based on scientific facts? It's preparing or grooming a nation for Satanism. You can't, you can't argue with someone who says, Yeah, where's like that? What's your rebuttal? Yeah, like that's just something to walk away from, honestly. Like, yep. what are you going to tell yeah. me who says that it's grooming for Satanism? I saw that video and I was like, and she went on to say that they are going to perform citizens' arrest and stop mm. arresting government officials. Who and doctors to, who mm-hmm. to make it a law for them to wear masks they're going to perform citizens arrest and they will feel the brunt of god you cannot you cannot argue with people <laughs> who have those convictions you can't what are you going to tell them yeah i agree with that um, it's crazy so that to me was the most scary thing thankfully uh new york and the part of new york that i'm in it's not like that my the major concern about the part of new york that i'm in is the Jews. The Jews who are not wearing masks, they don't believe in man's law, and they are, they are partly heavily affected by COVID-19. They mm-hmm. are dying uh, at a rapid, they don't really care. I walk through Jewish neighborhoods every day because they're near to where I live and it's basically where I work, and yeah. they, they don't wear masks. They say that COVID-19 is fake, and it's a ploy by the Democrats to embarrass Trump's presidency. So the to reason embarrass Trump's presidency. Who like if like if anything? <laughs> you need help with that? Come on. This, this <laughs> it's, a, it's a democratic ploy, and mm-hmm. my manager asked him. So what about places like Italy? He's telling her that she's underestimating the power of the Democrats. Again. Well then. Again, how how do you? How do you compete with that? Like, how do you reason with somebody who that's their straight up thought? There's nothing that you could do. You could wear your mask and try to protect yourself personally, but these yeah. people are not going to do it. They showed up in thousands in the streets to bury a rabbi who died from mm-hmm. COVID-19 and mm-hmm. in the funeral was wearing masks. Yeah, I saw that during the pa- yeah, that was like at the heights of, of the pandemic too. It was, yeah, it was like 200, 2,500 people. Um, and then I think they tried to sue your mayor when after they try to arrest them. As I said, they will sue you and they will win because I don't know. That's, that's just the precedent here. Like everybody has a case. So. Yeah. I think it's such a strange thing. Like just live it coming from Trinidad, you know, like we had one country, you know what I mean? One country. And you know, America is the United States of America and you would perceive it as one country, mm. but it's so different. Like I live in North Carolina here. And I can go South Carolina borders, not but 40 minutes from where I live and go there and buy things that I can't buy here. I can buy fireworks freely there. 
I could um, pay no taxes on alcohol there. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like so many different things. So I think the problem for me was like when I didn't see like a unified decision making, mm -hmm. knowing that I yeah. can pick up in my car if I was living in New York and sit, drive all the way here with the virus with my whole family and spread it here. I mean, mm -hmm. I think I called Jesse one time because one of my neighbor's family from New York because <laughs> you can see their license plate moved in mm -hmm. during COVID. And I was like, these New Yorkers better stay put. <laughs> <laughs> and they came down because the, the pandemic was, you know, it was really high up there. And it's like, they came over here for like two weeks. And I was just saying that that's the problem that you can't restrict. And like the, I think the beauty of, of America is like the freedom, like the land of the free where, you know, you can claim any cause as a cause and yeah. you could argue argue away and use anything to make sure, you know, to defend your point. But it's also the thing that is hurting it now because mm -hmm. Too much saying it's your constitutional right not to wear a mask, but it's also my right to protect myself. And if you mm -hmm. not wearing a mask is harming me and I have to protect myself against you, then, you know, we are in conflict. Mm -hmm. So yeah. how do we, you know, how do we negotiate that? And when the president is absent and his... um you know he's not he's not fully there like i just don't know how to describe this man and it's such a strange thing because you know all of us grew up in trinidad and yeah yeah i'm growing up and thinking of america you know no matter who the american president we everybody thought Amer the president iq would have been sky high or they were so mm -hmm. competent and then you came up and then we see this 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 human being this entity here just all he do is living. He's not ruling. He's not doing it. Just living mm -hmm. and just actually spreading false narrative about masks. Right. Everybody came in the hospital before you. Your surgeon wore a mask to protect you when you were doing surgery. You, your nurses, oh. your doctors, everyone wore masks before. How all of a sudden masks don't work? It's just how and talking about God's green. I don't understand that he recommended medicine that killed this couple in Florida. I think. Yeah. Wait, that was yeah, the people who be the um the disinfectant or something. Something for the fish tank. It was something like clean oh fish tanks, and he said that if you take it, they would kill the um or the hydroxy um chloroquine. Yeah. 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 But yeah. he really uses his platform very irresponsibly. Because at the end of the day, if you as an individual have these problematic stances and stuff, it's one thing. But you're representing like one of the highest offices, one of the most respected offices. And he just continues to do shit with it. Like really. Like, to the extent where I don't think there's anything he can say anymore that will cause uproar because he's already said it all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's said it all. He's done it all. Mm -hmm. And it's just like... He's a lost cause. I mean, unfortunately, I, I think we still just got to be wary about him because yeah. if you all think Trump... Um, if you think this first term was crazy, can you imagine a second term when you don't need right. all votes to put him back in there? Mm -hmm. All of us going to be back on that ship going to Trinidad. <laughs> My my manager is Grenadian and she is like, listen, if he wins again, we need to be prepared to go back home. Find a way. And the quickness to it. He said it yeah. S back home. But talk, talking about like governments and stuff like that and the different responses that people had, I want to say that I am impressed by Trinidad and Tobago. Mm -hmm. not, only the, not only the government's response, yeah. But I think the people of Trinidad and Tobago truly impressed me with their behavior. That shocked me. Listen. <laughs> Y'all, so when, so when it start, my numbers start blowing up across the road in Italy and thing, like uh, we have a Chinese group chat here in Madrid and 
there was just like going back and forth about coronavirus and Trinidad and what will happen to the country and everybody just had like bad reviews bad reviews like you know how and I was just like I had nothing to say I was just like you know what that should come in here first so (laughs) I'm trying to mind my business but yeah honestly wow I mean look look how she ate that like (laughs) (laughs) literally wow I can't say anything else I of course anticipated COVID parties and um, Same. people being arrested and like huge numbers. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the response was just truly, truly surprising. I can't, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Wow. I, I, I agree. And as a trainee abroad, especially being in the US and seeing the ridiculousness that was happening yes. physically. And it was yeah. like, look at home, you know? And I feel like, yes. as yes, yes, the people, but and I am not a, really a political person, but I think I really appreciated the structure that came from the government and yeah, like yeah. the constant communication to the um, press conferences yes. and even the ministry of communication, like constantly um, putting out information. Yeah. I think like the response on a whole was, was yeah, it was solid. It was, like, it was top tier. It was just... Mm-hmm. I feel like too, because we didn't have a choice because... <laughs> As Kidel pointed out, is either that or oh. complete decimation. Yeah. And that was not option. Yeah. We we are telling all there right now, Trinidad's cut the last black pelt and if all else sick by home. If you know all the neighbor sick, don't come close to me. <laughs> you can leave Carney and go wherever because like it's so small. I don't I don't know if that's what we were thinking about, but or if it was much it was just enough of a jolt for people on the ground to really understand this is no joke. Yeah. Because as I said before, we have this thing with God is a trainee and we've been blessed enough where we've never yes. had any natural disasters. We've never had to deal with any kind of pandemic or anything like that. Knock on wood. It's always been akikiki, akikiki. Yeah. <laughs> so happy that this was another instance where we did not, we were not, yeah, we move real smart too. It's just like I love how they locked down the borders when they did. Yeah, and they did it. They did it at a really good time too. Because and if they, you, you yeah. compare their response to the rest of the Caribbean, like Jamaica, for example, their borders mm-hmm. were open long after. Yeah, and their borders are open now again. But I mean, they're right. very strict with you know. Yeah, I think yeah. it was like based on looking at how how many cases were imported in other islands, mm-hmm. and we were just like, okay, wait, no, we're not going through that. No. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And exactly, you know, and also the other islanders would have been trying to come, hope, come to. Tr- I, yeah. I mean, I think li- being a Trinidadian, sometimes we talk, you know, crap about our own place, but people come to us because we have better. You know what I mean? We have a better structure and have better infrastructure than they do. So, yeah, I think people, the government, really did a good job, and he didn't give in to politics. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, there was a lot of, you know, jabs trying to take at the government, you know, keeping people. First of all, if the tell y'all y'all had 10 days to come back in the country, you still want to finish it. You're you, Saharan, though. Some of them <laughs> left. Some people left. Some people, some people left, I think, March the 15th. Those people on the cruise? Yeah. They left. They left. Okay, stay knowing. out. They left knowing that, mm-hmm. again, this whole trainee thing about God is that trainee. Everybody and then... Actually. No, but then they tried to, to pull on American card and try to sue the government. No, it wasn't them. Idiots. <laughs> With the quickness. And they're bringing 60 cases. Idiot. Right? Imagine. Can you, I think that alone, imagine <laughs> if the government didn't have restrictions. 
we would have been a mess just from that one cruise. It would have been decimated from those people who went to that cruise. If yeah. They didn't take it upon themselves to mm-hmm. quarantine those people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's what sanctioned quarantining was the best thing to do because you know if yeah. you might say, stay home, eh? That's not staying home. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say now come back from where they have what to bring for who and they had to yeah. eat this and mm. feed that yeah and they wasn't saying mm. no way because all I remember they have a like case. the empty ass suitcase yes yep, exactly they have a case of a woman in jamaica sis reached back monday tuesday morning she went to church she went to a funeral after the funeral sis went everywhere in the community and she literally spread it like she was the one person who spread yeah. COVID like so many people. Okay. And that's just like one thing that would have happened easy, easy in Trinidad. Yeah. Easy, yeah. And everybody's not keep, keep going for it. They borrowed it. They sit at this side. Total mess. So I'm really happy about uh, Trimigonians um, showing up and not showing out. <laughs> the government being having like a very, very impressive strategy when it comes to combating that. Shutting down the borders. Sending people home from work, managing how people would um, behave themselves and how people would attend work for essential workers, and also preparation on the medical front as well, in, um, importing the nurses and investing in healthcare and the grants. Hey, they give people free money. Um, yeah. That to me was next level too. Um, I didn't think that we were. Even though they complain about the form. I mean, what's new? They said 25 percent of the people who applied for assistance um, after investigation, they were not eligible. They were lying. People who own houses was applying for rental grants. Of course. Yeah, I'm just like, and I really want to talk about the recalcit- the recalcitrant minority, but it's about. <laughs> no, it's seriously, it's, it was it's terrible. And I have a friend who working in the office of the prime minister, and she was telling me she was like, listen. It's unbelievable the lengths which people would go to uh, to be selfish and, as the Prime Minister would say, to be nasty and mischievous. Mm-hmm. We are literally on the brink of extinction. And you choose to take advantage of a situation where, you know, the government is actually trying to give people money, trying to follow due process. Because, of course, you can't just say, everybody show up and we give you a check without a name. There has to be due process. Yeah. But we are perverting the process with greed. I saw videos of people accepting um, hampers from people who were willing to give them hampers and critiquing the hampers and talking about the hampers didn't have this or the hampers didn't have that. And I'm like, sis, you are not guaranteed this. You, nobody owes you this hamper. Relax. As I said, people were commenting in the, um, people were in the comment section talking about that's not enough money. When last time he went in the mom in the, in the grocery, mm-hmm. sis is a pandemic, eat bread and butter. Mm-hmm. This is not you want to eat ham, lamb, and jam on the government. Yes, you mean? Okay. This is a part of it. You are going to give the government supposed to give you money to make, um, I don't know, barbecue or you don't know. Simple thing. Tricks. Relax. That reminds me of the name, but the woman who got the HDC house with the children. That making sense? That making any sense? <laughs> <laughs> You get it free, it's not making sense. How about that? I know living living abroad makes you really appreciate the privilege of being a Trinidadian. And just like how much we have, like every you cannot go hungry in Trinidad, as Jesse say. You could go there and make um a chow, it could come a chow man, 
you can pick coconut from your, your neighbor tree, mango, you're selling something. You can't go hungry in Trinidad. Cookie broom, make a cookie broom day. broom, you make um sugar cake. Trust me. Pick up mm-hmm. I can tell you the possibility. Yeah. Uh-huh. Figure it out. And then this them, but we come they complain about every I say, you know what? I can do the HDC house right now. <laughs> when I see my when I see my New York taxes, I just want to jump off a bridge. What is this? Uh-huh. Oh Basically, a third of your income you paid in taxes. What is that? That's crazy. It's craziness. Mm-hmm. And we complain and about also that. the health system. Yeah, let's talk about health insurance in the US. Like, if you have health insurance, you, yeah. if you have health insurance, it's right. If you have it, <laughs> yeah, that's just grass. If you have it, and even if you have it, gotta be careful because they would tell you, yeah, we just take that insurance. <laughs> you bill. You're talking from experience, so. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, I think insurance. Um, so tell you no man, and he builds. My friend the other day, I think he slices his finger. He Guess how he went to the emergency room for stitches? Five hundred US, and this is a student. How I like all he did was stitch my finger. Five hundred US. You should have stitched like, yourself. He should have. Uh, this one, the people out there haven't to do that. Show some rubbing alcohol on that and that. Yeah, so people see the breezes he let. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you do my bandage, just like outside, like five hundred US, <laughs> five hundred, um, and that's cheap. That's cheap thing. I had to. It's too much. My, I was, you know, I like to chew bone like a trainee, a proper trainee. Had to chew a bone and <laughs> crack one of my tooth, and I didn't realize like my tooth was like hollowing out inside there. And I literally went by the dentist a month or two ago. So I had to go to the emergency dentist because it was over um, after like six in the afternoon or something like that. Mm-hmm. And for this man to just go here and fill that to 1700 US. Well, I had to say it. And he don't take insurance because it's an emergency. He don't take insurance. He like, don't take insurance. No, no, it's not what I'm doing. Oh, no, because that's how they make the more money. Yeah. And no, he stayed listen, up until he's 24 hours. Eh? You would have to, I don't even know because if you don't have the money, what? Flyers? Take all the tooth and roll with it. Cause well, to, to extract the tooth was over five hundred dollars. I said, "Why am I paying for you to pull my tooth out? Maybe best it might, it might as well fix it." But that pain was too severe for me to go mm-hmm. back go to sleep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. It should not go right. You know, even though our uh, Montrose Health Center would take four hours, four hours eh, for them to see in Montrose Health Center. Mm-hmm. But you still could get it done. You know, ain't spending all that money. So let's let's switch gears now to um, Black Lives Matter. What do you want to talk about Black Lives Black Lives Matter um, in Trini or here first? Because I don't know. I feel like for years I've been I've been talking about things relating to it, not specifically yet, and I have learned a lot about race, ethnicity, and really just existence. Um, moving to the U.S. I think being black here is completely different from being black in the Caribbean. Like being black in Trinidad is default. Being black is a default. Like yeah. everybody black. Like hey, we're black, black. all the time. I didn't realize I was black until I saw Charlie. I was like, wait, what? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm accustomed having black prime ministers, black ministers, black teachers, black this, black that. 
I didn't realize it was a thing until mm-hmm. I started to live here. Even when I was visiting, I didn't think it resonated as much as living here, working here, interacting here, just like existing in a space where black is not default has mm-hmm. been a challenge. Yeah. yeah. You know, of course I've been um, seeing, I think, I think I've been more exposed to racial injustice, but I started to question if I was more exposed to racial injustice now, or is it because I have a different lens living mm-hmm. in, in the U.S.? As in these things were happening all the time, I just didn't identify it as things that was rooted in racism because, again, mm-hmm. was the default. Mm-hmm. Right. I think only when I had particular conversations with particular people, I started to understand um, the different levels and perversions uh, of racism and the meaning of systemic racism, how it exists in so much things. And if you were to really talk about how many things exist or wh- where racism exists in so many things, you'd almost seem like a paranoid person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like simple things like a master bedroom. And you're like, hmm, what does that even mean? And then thinking of, if, if you were to really think about the fact that black people treat other black people um, as if it's it's okay to treat black people like less than an understanding of the connection that to that shit to me again just as Anika say wow like mm-hmm. I'm black <clears throat> and what does it mean to be black in this space exactly that part like what does it mean for me what does that mean not necessarily to me I guess yes but also like what do they think of me. Yeah, I'm yeah. just like yeah. what do they see? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I just be like, I don't know which black people you mean before, but I don't do that here. Like Yeah. <laughs> like and you're just confronted with these like different realities based on where you are. And just like you have to get accustomed to it all over again. And I'm just much, like much. it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I feel like being a Trini black is a special type of black because like home, I feel like as you know, we were a majority home and we we're accustomed being in charge. You know, all of us have our parents worked, our parents own something, you know, own their house or whatever. You know, it was never um, like a, 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 it wasn't something strange for us to see ownership there. And so when people of other non-Black people home challenge us or said something disrespectful, we deal with it with the quickness, you know, and we deal with it in our own way home, like, you know, I bust your head or, you know, whatever. But yeah. here, when you're ch- confronted with racism, you can't deal with it that way because mm-hmm. the system doesn't allow you to, <laughs> you know, be co- corrected because the system was meant for you to be dealt with that way and viewed this way. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it is a hard thing. And even trying to have dialogues with African-Americans, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Assad. That is a no. whole other. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are gonna say, but like living here, I meet as many African Americans that I have met. I'm, I'm just like, all right. Okay. It's, it's, it's a lot about this. So, I don't understand that. Like, it's different because you know yeah. what? I mean, it's it. You, like, I just, I don't know. Like, it's just certain things. Just you can't understand that. You just have to accept it. Mm-hmm. I think, right. And when we try to explain, like, okay, well, I don't view that this way because that's not my experience. experience. Like, mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? 
it's hard. It's, it's, the, biggest, the biggest issue for me is, and I've said this to exclusively West Indian people and one American, mm-hmm. um, I think the biggest challenge for me is the fact that I feel as though African-Americans believe that the term African-American and the, the African-American culture is synonymous to Black culture and Black representation, but it ain't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that's to, what I, yeah. To get them to understand that they are not the supreme is difficult. Mm-hmm. And so they expect you to abandon your cultural identity, your heritage, your everything about yourself, and to assume African-Americanhood. If you don't, it's met with fierce disgust, you know, Mm -hmm. almost combative with them. And I can't do that. So, (laughs) and I have a long history of saying the most controversial things. So to me, in situations like that, I gosh my mouth because I know that I'm gonna hurt your feelings. If I tell you where it is or what time it is, I will hurt your feelings. So it's hard mm-hmm. being black in a space where black is not the default, you know? Mm-hmm. Like me, especially when you were exposed to that. Exactly when yeah, that that's where I'm from. That's like me yeah. not being so impressed by Barack Obama because he was like some black president. Because in my mind, I got some of the black prime ministers and president like sis, that's the norm. <laughs> but to yeah. them, they are almost to the point where they're obsessed with the idea of black leadership and black ownership and black presence and black representation. Mm-hmm. But to me, since Westwood Park, I've seen black people on TV. So in my, <laughs> in my mind, black people is like... Black people have been know? out here killing that mind when they're talking about... <laughs> we out there. Right. We out there doing the damn thing. We're in the cut long time. We... Yeah. So I, First black I agree. I think that's the biggest thing is like that we can get their perspective and we are willing to listen to their perspective, but it's hard for them, yeah. like just playing the devil advocate because they grew up only knowing America. If you have mm-hmm. conversation with even non-Black Americans, they yeah. don't kind of care about anybody else's anybody, culture because yeah. all, all they've been taught is to know that America is great. America is the mm-hmm. best. So mm-hmm. why, if wow. I'm the best, why do I have to care about anything else compared to us home? We are very inclusive. Like, you could ask any Trinidadian, I feel, about East Indian culture or Chinese Asian culture. They can list things off, rattle things off. Like mm-hmm. I remember, I was in a class here, and I was talking, and uh, we were talking about like um, cultural appropriate things to say to, like back in in school, like to one of my patients. And I was like, "Well, no, you won't say that because you know that's not their religion, and this is how they worship." And my teacher was like, "How do you know that?" You know, and I was like. Because growing up at home, we had to be mm-hmm. inclusive. It wasn't mm-hmm. like uh, yeah. ex- diversity and inclusion wasn't a, a thing. It was just and the so norm. a token thing that you just push in because it just is for us. Yes. So mm-hmm. I think for them, it's hard for them to understand why we don't celebrate certain things that they do or um, praise certain people because it's like, 
they should do that. You know, all of us grew up learning education is the key to success. The only way a little black boy go to school and learn. Like, so when, when they, when they graduate and, you know, I'm like, okay, good. Like they want, a, they expect a huge celebration about it because it's such not a norm for them, but home it's, it's normal for us to see that, you know? So It's a huge, I think exclusivity or ex- exclusion, uh, inclusion is, is such a rarity here that it's such a, a, a touchy topic for them. You know, mm-hmm. you get really emotional. I don't know. I think, I feel as if it still traumatizes them, the fact that they are not, uh, they, they don't consider themselves uh, because they don't believe that they are treated as equals in the mm-hmm. U.S. The mere fact that they call themselves um, African-Americans to me Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is, a, is a, a big deal to me like I see some Trinis start saying things like Indo-Trinidadian Afro-Trinidadian yeah, that, that, yeah. that makes me so confused uh, uh-huh. for, for two reasons one I feel as if the, the person who, start, who I saw started to use it in the media first is such a divisive person Voldemort mm-hmm. and two I don't want that for Trinidad. I don't want us to start. Right, and I was like, yeah. But I feel like that was a big part of our nationalistic movement, like going back to the 60s when I think it was Eric Williams who spoke about there not being like a mother Africa and a mother India. Like we're all Trinis and this is who we are. And I feel like that's so um, intrinsic to who we are as Trinidadians abroad and home. And yeah. the Kero, like they, they never had a nationalistic movement that included black people. Like that was never a thing. Black people mm-hmm. were never considered in any movement here, except for the mm-hmm. civil rights movements, which right. they had to do themselves. Yeah. So which um, they didn't ha- which they wasn't fully considered because it was hijacked by the women's rights movement and the LGBT mm-hmm. movement, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which included non black people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then also thinking about the fact that I guess the civil rights movement would have had some success, but it never dealt with systemic racism. It dealt with a lot of the overt racism. And so as you're saying, the systemic racism continued and other movements came forth that definitely would have included non-black people. Yeah. But I feel like when the um, protest started here, honestly, I heard it. And it was just like another, not another protest, it was another black man killed to me. Because it's been happening so, like, it, it, it's, it's not, it's not an armory thing, it's very common. And then yeah. when the protest started and it started to explode, um, as much as I'm a black Caribbean person living in the U.S., I think my status as student and status as being here temporarily also affected how I saw it. So it was, I, I didn't feel a part of it, you know? And I went to one protest here in Athens and they were like, um, they were speaking, it was, it was very political, so they were talking, they were like, fuck Trump or whatever. And see me here with my US-sponsored um, scholarship just in the back of <laughs> if I am. If my If I am seen, what will happen? You know, I, was I was so happy that I was able to be there, you know, and support. And then, like, uh, it's, it's, like it has been evident for me from the get-go, the tie between the Black Lives Movement here and just movements across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was happy to be a part of that. So as much as it might not affect me, and thankfully it hasn't affected me, but I think because I'm in a college town and it tends to be a bit more international, I haven't had those type of experiences that a lot of the people who live here or even just go to school here have, you know, but I was happy to be a part of it. And um, yeah. 
in New York, the whole Black Lives Movement, I think, um, was very intense. What I would say is, because I mean, again, I spoke to people and what, one of the messages my dad uh, sent to me was like, don't trust white people. And I think oh. me, that was, you know, my, my, pop's, my pop's not old, you know, he, he turns 57 this year. And that means he was born one year after we became independent. You know, he's yeah. an independence baby. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but I, I think it <laughs> <laughs> was once again, right after COVID-19, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, once again, my family just feels powerless when it comes to me being out here alone. They, yeah. they, can't, they can't at the stroke of a brush or... We can't jump on a plane, even if it's one person for my family to come and keep me company because we are separated. Uh, so get, getting that message from my father, and I, it wasn't even a message where we were talking. He, we were doing like this, we had this video chat and he was, he told me, um, don't trust white people, like stay from white people. And of course, somebody who was in the 60s in the Caribbean, them talking about white people, like their understanding of white people and representation of white people is different. From how I see That's Karen, so it's like Karen. <laughs> that is so true. Karen is, I don't know. Karen is a mutated form. Um, <laughs> actually, maybe the opposite because to them, like he's a chameleon. Because of their because of their proximity to slavery and civil rights movements, because they're at that age, our understanding of of Karen now is that Karen is just an idiot we're gonna ignore or tell she or she might come and move on. Yeah, the understanding of Karen is closer to this uh, to people. I don't know, maybe this lady more violent. I think their understanding of Karens are more violent, it's more traumatic for them to think about their child being in a space with that has so much white people. So mm-hmm. of course, they were concerned about me being part of the protests, and I did not go. I have not been to any of the Black Lives Movement. I mean, Black. Black Lives Matter protests in New York. Um, and I would say that I have not been, I haven't been that much affected by it when it comes to um, not being able to go to work, not being able to do things that I do on a usual basis. I live so far away from all of the um, marches and all the, mar- all the protesting and stuff like that, that to me on this side of the island, because I mean, the piece of the island or whatever. To me, in this part of the, the city, and I live in a very white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, my neighborhood is Russians, Polish, like, them kind of white. Okay, uh, yeah. And the supermarket shelves reflects the demo- mm-hmm. uh, demographic. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's no bandana here. The leeks, there's dill, but there's no bandana. So you, you understand the the like my neighbors, people I see in the elevator all the time is like as white people. Uh they have been noticeably more friendly, you know, in, in recent times, which to me is even weird because Gil will talk to me. That's the guilt. Yeah. Yeah, that's a white yeah, guilt. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what I would say is that seeing people, one, being criticized in Trinidad and Tobago for 
recognizing and partner uh, participating in Black Lives Movement uh, in the cyber sense and even in the physical sense of protests and stuff like that. I don't want to say it's disappointing. I want to say that it made me more aware. And I think that when it comes to racial injustice, systematic uh, or systemic racism, and being Black, I think that I learned a lot by living in the U.S. Because I think that a lot of things that happens and happen in the Caribbean and, and in Trinidad that is linked to racism, I didn't identify it as racism. Yeah. yeah. I, I identified it as prejudice or something a bit more topical as opposed to something that is so rooted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that I benefited from living in a, in a space like this, uh, in a time like this, mm -hmm. as the black rights and racism and stuff like that. I learned a lot about it. I started questioning why I don't know anything about uh, what was happening in Trinidad during the civil rights movement in the U.S. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And our own black power movement. Exactly. Which is crazy for me that we don't. Because we had a big school. one too. Right? In my mm -hmm. mind. When Malcolm and them was bumping the gun, what was happening to that? <laughs> he was singing Kumbaya? I yeah, know. no. He was fetching and having a nice time. I, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I'm slightly embarrassed when, we was when I had conversations with uh, Americans and African-Americans when they were to ask me directly, like, what was happening in Trinidad around that time? Yeah. Like, girl, I don't know. I really <laughs> want to vibe with me on the highway. I don't know what happened. So it forced me to try, it forced me to challenge what I understood about racism in the Caribbean and racism yeah. in Trinidad. Yeah. And defined my experience again, being a black person alive. So now that it's reached the point where there are uprisings in Trinidad with civil representations of the Black Lives Matter movement, there's still people in Trinidad who are very critical about it, who think that Trinidad don't have racism. And very disrespectful. Disrespectful with it, like. Would they? I mean, Trinidad was. Actually, I said that they're very comfortable with their. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that is it. I just disrespectful. I think all of you disrespectful. But they're comfortable with their racism. Not just their racism. Let's call it what it is. It has challenged me to acknowledge my, my privilege as a black woman. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. Baby, baby. Like, <laughs> my privilege, and that's, I think that's probably why I'm so late to the cookout or the river line when it comes to these things, <laughs> because I had to really understand my privilege growing up mm -hmm. in Trinidad. Like, I went to one of those town schools Mm -hmm. Which is a big thing to my little rural community. Going down to a school in town, you go to school in town. You know, <laughs> get your first choice. <laughs> oh, get your first choice. You didn't get zoned, boy. I think all of us probably write essay before the zoning started. Me and know if there was zoning, then me and know. Nah, I think I get zoned, but. <laughs> 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 I can tell you for a fact, my mother was not playing them games. She, <laughs> my, when I was prepared in standard four, my mother still have every essay I wrote, every math mm. exam I took, so she could have compared to my essay exam, and she was she wasn't playing them games. Those don't she child. Those don't she child. She told me that one time. I yeah, know, but, but like what people please. 
But with the Black Lives Matter um, here in Charlotte, I've been living here for since 2011 in America um, when I first came up. And I went to HBCU, Johnson mm -hmm. C. Smith. And it's, um, for people who don't know, it's a historically Black college and university. And our school, the, um, the Freedom Writers, actually started from there. A lot of people don't know that. And they went to Charlotte. So we have a lot of history of, you know, like protesting and, you know, we had to, we had to take like an African-American and other studies class, which, in, you know, kind of, which I, I actually enjoy now. And I like looking back at it, I thought it was like a waste of class. Cause I'm like, I know what it is to be black, but when you look back and what you learn from that um, class really, really sets a different um, precedent into the way you think and how you can kind of come together. So when 2016, I think Keith Lemon Scott was killed here. It was a, and we had a big protest here in Charlotte and I, w I went there and it was so peaceful and all of a sudden it's just like, you don't know where gunshot was coming from. You don't know where um, okay. rubber bullet was. Actually, I, my father called me from home and turned that, what are you doing? What are you doing? Go home now. I said, what are you talking about? Oh, you know, I, he saw me on the TV. I was starting, my father started standing up next to um, where the media people was going to say, well, you know, um, if, you know children, yeah. that, if they felt a bullet, um, the police shooting, they're going to shoot the media people. So me hiding right <laughs> behind their hair. <laughs> and it was just crazy because one of the days that we were protesting, it was like seven days long. And one of the days that we were protesting, um, we were just walking quietly. And it was, just, you know, back to what Jesse's father said, to be careful of, you know, who. Um, these, these group of them came, eh? they came with these, you know, um, Caucasian people. They came and they were like, oh, you want some, uh, some water bottles? I was like, wait, well, what? I don't, I don't need any water. They're like, oh, no, it's the third, third the police, third the police. I'm like, me? That's no, but that's their behavior. It's they, they instigate a lot of things. Mm. And so when this happened with um, which is George Floyd, the night it happened, there was nothing in Charlotte, and that no, it had a little thing. And I don't, I live pretty close to the police station, like two blocks away, and I was hearing like bang, bang, bang. So I was like, oh, let's just take a drive out there and there. Or was it like a little miniature protest? It was just, I wouldn't say more, more than a hundred people there. And so we went out the first night there with them and, you know, everybody trying to social distance because, you know, black people up here don't play that sickness game too. They're like, stay far away from me. Yeah, stay far away from me. So, and again, with the same thing. So I've been to three protests with the George Floyd situation. And every time you would be presented with these hijackers of the movement. So that's why... I believe in, in, in equal rights for everyone. Everyone should be free to love who they want to love. But what I don't like is the hijacking of movements. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Black people have never fully have a movement that we can really just call our own. Everybody wants to bandwagon and join and attach themselves to everybody. And I think now with the Black Lives Matter movement, first time you can see it's like specifically only dealing with blackness and it's not just black americans it's like literally throughout the whole diaspora yeah and you saw i don't know if you also in um like is it kenya or one of um one of one of our um countries in the, on the motherland they were starting to get round up them chinese and get them out because they were being disrespectful oh no okay yeah because you know like you know so what the fuck get out <laughs> so it was kind. It was really nice for me to see 
and this is like I, you know, when I talk to a, a lot of African Americans, and I'd be like, oh. You, why y'all not doing this? Why you not doing this? And they're like, what do you see? Because, you know, we're coming from a place where we, when we come here, all we see is opportunity. Yeah, they don't, right. sometimes they don't see what they have. So I was so pleased to see, like, you know, as just, you know, um, um, Americans a whole, not African-Americans, but Americans in a whole, they perceive themselves as the leaders. So I was happy to see Black America leading something for the whole people, everybody, and not just themselves. And it's like the whole world, all the people from the diaspora was just, um, just you know, I just feel like was it, the fire was lit. And back to what we talking about home, I was proud to see them protesting home. Um, and then, of course, you know, you have our um, the generation above us was like, we protesting for a trend that had no racism. Mm-hmm. Yes, we don't have white racism, but our racism, we have, we are very big on colorism, home. Yeah, and otherism and and classism and which is which stems from racism Mm -hmm. and because we didn't have to live with white people as long as um, african-americans has we i think we don't call it racism and as jesse said like living here gives you like oh wow that's what it is yeah because whole i have a word for it yeah yeah everybody wants to be i coco payol i do glad i i Mm -hmm. did that but black As I get as I reads, my mother's Spanish. She Listen, <laughs> I remember when I was in primary school and it was a big thing to say your grandmother Indian. Or if, listen, if you had a piece of white in your family, you're rich. Or yeah, my great grandmother was from where up and you're lying out of your teeth because you know your grandmother was from nowhere. But we all of us kids are descendants of rape. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Relax. Relax. <laughs> I know. So I think that's very interesting. And I think it's funny with, you know, like they're not, I, I like the terms black and non-black. I don't like people of color. I think black I people, like we are your own people. Like and everybody. Where's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody that is <laughs> not black, you're non-black. I don't, y'all can call all this stuff whatever yeah, you want. Figure it out. Figure it out. But, yeah. figure it out. Don't, don't, don't come and bandwagon. I'm a yeah. person of color. I'm a minority. Okay, honey. That's fine. We deal with black you, issues right now. You're not black. What <laughs> this thing in Trinidad where they say in, um, in America, um, if you're not white, you're black. That's not where? true. Where in mm-hmm. America? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because I think, I think the danger with doing stuff like that is you don't talk about the privilege that people who are not white but also not black have. Yeah, you know, and it just kind of group us people of color. Like, let's talk about the differences and how you treat Asian Americans versus African Americans. Like, yeah. we're not saying that white people sell on that stuff, but we have to talk about the differences. We're not all just people of color. They have one so much more privilege than us, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and even as a, a man, I can say I have privilege that you mightn't have. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. privileges that people who are transgender mightn't have. And mm-hmm. we all intertwine within these communities. But yeah. my problem is with people of color and minorities. Mean like that. Minorities, <laughs> air quotations. They like, they want a bandwagon. And I, I was going to talk about that thing when they come in America. So then when they come in America, you're black. There's an Indian person. I ain't going to call the name out. I said that. Listen, 
uh, well, an Indian and a Syrian person that goes to Howard and they're in medical school in Howard. And them as being the first one in Trinidad when they go up in um, tripartis, touch, touch, touch with all of their high color friends there. But in America, they hear claiming um, black, Black. black scholarships, right? They apply mm-hmm. for black scholarships and applying for scholarship mm-hmm. from the NAACP. That is a problem with me mm-hmm. because you are not black and you do not live a black life. So when you leave Howard University and go back to Trinidad, you're going to be using your privilege and discriminate against actual black people. You yeah. are in Trinidad, you're not black. You are Indian home and you are um, a Syrian oh. home and and y'all do not intermingle with us. Yeah. Unless, yeah. of course, yeah. if they went to a school in town, you know, <laughs> we might have met. <laughs> we might have passed you know, on the bus or something. The, the bus, they say the black because in the last few days, I have a lot of people on Facebook who saying that in Trinidad, um, well, are we black? And I am challenging that. I'm, I'm one of those people who take the opportunity to disabuse them of that. <laughs> I don't know where they get that idea from. It's, I've never heard that in any circle that I've been in the U.S. And I, in my mind, Black is African ancestry. So to me, yes. if you are no African ancestry, boo-boo is no one are we. And, if mm-hmm. you're and also African visibly African ascent. That's, uh, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. Right, yeah, because yeah, you could you're be white African? passing. People mm-hmm. who are yeah, black person. I ain't gonna tell you that too, eh? But because certain celebrities to me who racially ambiguous, me really big on them being black representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. I would more focus on people who are black, but I I understand and recognize that colorism and things like mulatto and all the different cute words are agents of racism. So mm-hmm. I I would say that I'm the type of person where I don't want to. That's why I don't like this whole people of color thing. Because I think it dilutes. And it's mm-hmm. blackness. Way I, that's why I don't like the whole term African-American. Because I think it dilutes. It makes you feel as if you're less than. Why we don't be called uh, yeah. We don't call them Caucasian-Americans. Why we don't mm-hmm. call them Czech-American, Italian-American. Why, but why we want to be called yeah. African-American? Yeah. No. No. Exactly. And I, I think African-Americans should call themselves Americans. They, right. When it comes to your, your ethnicity, you can say you're African. But right. I, I, America makes it, so, makes it so that they want to make sure that they are a different part it's there. A, and back to the topic of them people home who want to say, they, all are we black? Don't come and bandwagon and die on T-Shop. Don't come and bandwagon on us now here and want to come and be all and never, never, mm-hmm. ever, ever and i you know what i i grew up knowing a lot of these people you know we it turned out is but but so small and you interact yeah. with these people and you know these people and you know these people will spit on you if they had a chance because mm-hmm. they don't they perceive themselves as better than you 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 can go into a tri party and you sit on us uh, you know you get a section they're watching you like what are you doing here yeah why are you here but look like we're seeing that now with the protests um because of the police brutality that happened the other day. Like, you see them up on Facebook and they have everything to say about these, these communities. Mm-hmm. About my community. Yeah. Um, Are you from Lavantil? You're from the hills. Yeah. I'm, from, I'm from East Port of Spain, behind the bridge. <laughs> I'm from... No. <laughs> I just say this to, yeah, I know say to make it sound like... So my family from Mayaro, they have this joke. to be like, yeah, when I'm going to the bed... <laughs> But let's be in steel pan on the roof. <laughs> um, I from Enterprise, me too. <laughs> yeah, and you're seeing them. These people are clearly frustrated because, like we say, not all of us black. And you're seeing that in the comments on Facebook. 
you can sit down in your in your house in Glencoe or wherever. <laughs> Marval, St. Clair, Ivali, Pleasantville, I don't know, places. And, <laughs> 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 and just be so And talk that talk. And talk talk nonsense. Yeah. Because you're trying to tell me that as a, as a Trimagonian, you can't remember one incident of brutality. Hmm. I grew up in the hood. I tell I learned, you know, I know real example of them thing too. And mm-hmm. just being like around carnival time, there, there are lots of incidences where I observe police brutality where they were lucky mm-hmm. for saying ass. Mm-hmm. But when a police mm-hmm. come in your face and telling you, what the fuck wrong with you? But mm-hmm. they were lucky for saying ass. Mm-hmm. You know, they're beating you up for saying ass or they're beating you up for some shipping. It's unnecessary, unnecessary. And a lot of people, I don't know if they forget this time when they were shooting over bullets in sealots or whatever. And mm. the whole country had shut down at that point in time. I don't know how people, for whatever reason, seem to think that there are no instances of police brutality in Trinidad. That's it's so because they do, not, they do not value these people's lives, people who live yeah. in these... To them it's warranted. It's not brutality. Yeah. It's warranted. Yeah. They'd yeah. be like, well, them, them just get on, so... Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, just imagine a pregnant woman is shot and killed. She yeah. Is and there are people in the comment section saying, she, um, she was pregnant, we should we nay. Yeah, you're pregnant and you have five children. Who what is you doing down there? Come on, focus. Focus. The issue is human life has been taken. Mm-hmm. There has to be some part of you because you're a human being that for whatever reason makes you think to yourself, wow, this is not right. Yeah, yeah. This is not right. Like a, a human life is gone and then they stay from what, five hours away or they stay in Trinidad and they talk about um in america it is safe to do this it is safe to start. and i'm like so, as somebody who grew up in the hood i am telling you that there are times when i would feel afraid to go home listen was it nice? i tipped away like tom from tom and jerry to walk <laughs> in the hood baby, i had to run up the hill they don't know who is in the dark so to me it's like clearly you people are just you're not aware. You're, you, you don't know. That, to me, is privilege. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that there are people who live in Trinidad and they're as afraid being black in Trinidad mm-hmm. as afraid being black in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That's not a reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have spent years creating layers and layers over myself to the point where people, when I jump on Facebook and talk that talk, people just tell me, I don't I saw them for privilege. I'm like, first of all, I go up in the H-double-O-D. Where I grew up on a kind of walk through. You know me from QRC, so in your mind, and then when we see my talk to chill English words, so in your mind, I <laughs> had this privilege. But you have no idea how many years of layering it took for me to be the person who you may have met and interacted with. But at right. core, I am somebody completely different who realized that I had to create these layers to fit mm-hmm. in. To fit in, yeah. To avoid yeah. Where from I from Shaguanas, this time you're from Orange Field. But you would say Shaguanas, you understand? They don't understand that. They don't understand crossing the street in my neighborhood and somebody locking the door. Like I I want I want she um Toyota Yaris skill by. They don't understand. <laughs> that, that is, that's something that for whatever reason people have not experienced and that is privilege now to me one of the biggest things is is 
convincing black people that they have privilege. Privilege, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Only Caucasians have privilege. Mm-hmm. But they don't understand that as a black person, even me as a black person who from the hood and from a lower class or lower income household and stuff like that, I have to recognize my privilege. Mm-hmm. It's things as going to school, having a visa, traveling, right, um, right. Or those things are huge privileges. Mm-hmm. Not outside Tobago. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I thought I thought the Trinidad had gotten cut off. And you didn't do them that man. <laughs> <laughs> these simple experiences, like going to Port of Spain, like there are people from my neighborhood who never went to Port of Spain. To Port of Spain, yeah. right? So that is a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is a privilege. The fact that mm-hmm. I could, I tell you, look, 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 look at this one piece. But yes. There are people who have not gone to Port of Spain. Like in my mm-hmm. village, when I pass, when I, when I went to my little SCA and I passed with St. Anthony's College, huh. the whole neighborhood, no, you know, passed tongue. Because there are people who didn't take that $5 green man maxi to go to tongue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now it's for me. <laughs> but yeah, it had people who just never went to school in Port of Spain. That is a big thing. And because I went to these schools in the city, and I interacted with these people, these teachers had this level of education, this quality of education. Because if we would even talk about education in different parts of the country, that's our oh, next Right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a problem. That mm-hmm. is a privilege. Those are all privileges that I have, and I have to recognize that and understand how that changed my perspective, and that gave me an alternate reality to live in. Mm-hmm. But it's not and all the opportunities that allowed you to access as well. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing with like with um like with African Americans. Like for me, it's like why I sympathize with them is because I recognize my privilege of being in Trinidad. Like you know, mm-hmm. everybody, my doctor growing up black, formative years, mm-hmm. the, the grocery store black, prime minister being black other than Basde Pandey. I know mm-hmm. everything is black. Everything that I know is blackness. Mm-hmm. The, the person who drives, you know. The Mercedes Benz black, like it's, it's it wasn't such a strange thing for me. So that's how I try to, you know, when I come to have these conversations, is coming from, speaking from my place of privilege and recognizing that I have privilege, and I'm, mm-hmm. I, and I, then then I can point out their privilege there, so they can know how to use it. Because mm-hmm. the problem is that you're not using the privilege that you have to benefit right. your people. Yeah, you're just sitting in it comfortably. People. Yes, and they don't, yeah. and they don't realize it. They're in it until you have to point out. Well, you know what? You're having Christmas is a, is a blessing. I don't know what Christmas was. I don't know what a birthday party was. None of that. Was a birthday party? I could tell you for free. My mother was not, and my father not celebrating no birthday party. You go work on your birthday. You go clean this kitchen on your birthday. You take this trash out on your birthday here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The most you will get is you want roti or you want um, some pilau. <laughs> <laughs> but but how how do you think how do you think this whole Black Lives Matter movement is going to affect Trinidad and Tobago in 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 months to come? Like I know we we kind of distracted now by this whole election since August the tenth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's going to probably offset this whole Black Lives Movement march for some time, maybe next year. Yeah. And with the memory that our people have, I don't even know if it'll come back after. Probably. As I'm saying. That's what I was about to say. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. I don't have, well, I, I don't I, have to be pessimistic, but I really don't feel like I have a lot of hope for it, mm-hmm. especially with elections calling. I feel like it was a building momentum, but mm-hmm. everybody's um, 
attention is going to be on elections now. And yeah. the fact of the matter is the people who these things affect don't have the power to keep it on the agenda. Right. It's really the silent majority and those living in the um, apartment in Bayshore and Goodbrook Park and wherever else. They have the power, but it doesn't affect them. And they're comfortable in their um, privilege. So they're not really going to do anything about it. Right. But I think the chance of it being put back on the agenda after elections I, I don't know. It's probably, yeah. Which is so strange because you would think that they would harness this movement mm-hmm. to benefit them because mm-hmm. I think, like, I, 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 I just hate talking about politics because it really, really frustrates me because it's such blatant disrespect for, you know, our ethnic group, you know, for Black people home just to know that we are descendants of slaves and everybody else they are or descendants of, I mean, I guess, indentured laborers or, you know, merchants or some something fancy name, you know, all yeah, we know yeah. is slaves. And mm-hmm. we are the least financially equipped in Trinidad. We mm-hmm. are the least educated. And we don't, we, when actual things are happening for us to, you know, jump on, we, we allow the other groups to, you know, distract us because... Yeah. I remember at a point in time they was complaining about free education, right? They complained about like the when pe- pe- we know all of them benefited from it. You couldn't even mm-hmm. get into you need to go into medical school. Mm-hmm. You couldn't even get into certain schools in Trinidad. They hence I am in the United States of America because my mother knew. Well, again, she was very very well informed about how the system worked home, and it's like I am a tax paying citizen home. Everyone is home. I should be allowed to get into certain schools if I have the, um, the grades. And it's like, yeah. they, it's all who you know, and not everybody has to eat our food. And my parents didn't have, you know, $100,000 to give somebody to get them, their child an entrance into medical school. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, you know, like I, I, my biggest fear is this election is not going to go the way that it should. And we <laughs> lost so much money. <laughs> we lost <laughs> so much money in the last, when the last um, party was in power. That people, mm-hmm. And I think, like, what is the, the government now even... They're not even doing much exposure to it. Like, mm-hmm. I remember looking at one um, report was, like, the attorney general was, at that time was outsourcing lawyers from his friend's firm. And when we had government lawyers and retainers making $140,000 a year, you are outsourcing lawyers and paying them $40, $40 million a firm for a case that the government lawyers could afford. And this is, I mean, this is literally money that the, the, the country is bleeding. And then they talk about the Trinidad and this Trinidad don't have that. The smelter plant, you know, like you complain about it now. You know, yeah. Patrick Manning saw something, you know, 2020. Y'all used to talk about 2020. Look what happened in 2020. He knew. He was trying to save us. He knew. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it, I'm very fearful that the Black Lives Matter movement home is not going to continue because of the um, election. I, you know, as he used to say, t- tighten your belt. I always tell people that being a Trinidadian to me is something that I, I battle with because it's a, it's a love-hate relationship. There. I love Trinidad and Tobago so much. But I feel like because I love Trinidad and Tobago so much, it's the worst thing that I have to deal with. And like even not even not living home is so hard for me to be a Trini because I'm always in Trini mode. And as it relates to <laughs> us not paying, not um following through with this whole Black Lives Matter movement home, I think this the the source of 
being a Trinbegonian is the fact that we, our resilience lies in our ability to live in crisis, like to live in things happening around us and not allowing it to take away from our joy. A lot, of, a lot of people would say during the pandemic, right now I could be with Bang in the roof of um, Treasure Queen. And it comes off so comical. But the thing yeah. about it is, it's how we survive. Like people talk mm-hmm. about, all of us talk about this cannibal. All of, but That's how, our coping mechanism. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you were to take away carnival from Trinidad and Tobago, the anticipation of carnival, the participation in carnival, I don't know where we would be. <laughs> Seriously. And I can me, tell you for a fact we would be in a real riot in Trinidad right now. Like, <laughs> you, no, think, think about what gets us back in the mood after we had like yeah. a situation or whatever is here, a beach line, a river line, yeah, yeah. or whatever. That to me is the source of our resilience. If we don't have that, me and your war wouldn't happen in Trinidad. You wouldn't ignore this person who treated you in a particular way because you go buy a little beer, you go buy a little bar or snack it and you know, you deal yeah. with future in that way. But I think to see real change in Trinidad, we have to step away from that. We have to step away from relying on the giddy or the akikiki to go to the next level. And I, I don't know if, if that was such a distraction in my lifetime. I don't know. Yeah, it's. I feel like that's all rooted in our in who we are. Like it's, yes. it's too much a part of us. The akikiki yeah. is yeah. too much a part of us. Like without that, so much so to the point where if anybody dare steps out of that norm, yes, it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah, yeah. you just like people just like why are you getting on so far? Yeah, we could go to America, say, well, we could yeah. make uh, we might be able to buy two. It's always that drink a beer together, positive outlook, which is <laughs> nice to be Not positive. <laughs> it's nice to be positive and have that positive outlook, but it uh, it doesn't allow us sometimes to see the real problems because all we're seeing is like what we can, yeah, it's like because we'd never fully address, like, okay. Well, we shouldn't have to be living like this in Trinidad because the country makes too much money. Mm-hmm. The country makes too much money. Let's just be real. Trinidad has way too much money for the population that it has and for the things that we we don't we don't need to outsource banana. It takes more than it takes more than money. That's the thing. It it takes a cultural yeah. shift. If oh, yeah. a cultural shift, and that to me is like the dismantling of everything as we no no I, I i am agreeing with the cultural shift i'm just saying the the way that we like if people would only just address the situations up in front of us yeah. and not look forward to carnival or christmas or parang or whatever then we could literally go forward but we never yeah. fully address the situation the you know we're gonna the pandemic here everybody laugh at the, you know they make a, a joke away name ian allen and the stuff there but i mean that's that <laughs> That was a serious situation. Like he's making false accusations against the government that Mm -hmm. we don't take things serious enough. Sometimes I feel like it's Uh, just like, we don't, it's just everybody make a, we make a joke about it. And you know, sometimes I'll be on the phone. My my brother is a real comedian. I will call him and I'll say like, you know what? He like, we're doing it. You're going out to the protest. 
Make sure you know how to duck from the bullets, eh? That's not a joke. I know, <laughs> They're really shooting yeah. bullets behind me. And you're yeah. making a joke behind that shit? Yeah. And it's serious as fuck, but he really making a joke. And we laughing too, I'm, because, you know? Because, yeah! <laughs> I would say, I think that's part of the experience. The reason, a lot of, a lot of people will receive me as a comic. But I would say the reason why I'm, I am a comic is because when I'm, I'm serious about situations, everybody thinks I'm, I'm a mood kill. Like, why are you so serious all the time? Yeah. So to me, the only way I could convey particular perspectives or get people to think is through comedy, through entertainment. Yeah. That is what yeah. we're accustomed to. So I will be making jokes about particular things and people will be giggling. But at that same time, I'm planting seeds in your head for you yeah. to think about things in a particular way. And mm-hmm. it's going to take a little bit longer because a lot of people are going to recognize it for the, the topical value. But if you are around particular people and you keep saying things or saying particular things at some point in time, like you as a person just going to hope that it reaches somewhere. I always yeah. have to influence the people who is in immediate contact with me, like my friends and family, people who I talk to a lot. I try to influence or I try to give them new perspectives to think about, new things to think about. Because I realize that I cannot wear a cape and be Captain Saber Who and try to change the mindset of the entire Trinidad and Tobago. Like, so I, I can't walk around with a sword and just beat everybody. <laughs> I don't know what kind of boy man that is, but I honestly, if you think, think of Trinidad and Tobago as a whole guy, I can't beat every stick man. Mm-hmm. So right. you, have to, you have to choose which, which, which circle, which fraction, which, yeah. which part of, of Trinidad and Tobago you're going to try to influence. Like how Anikali have her a blog and stuff like that you have to find ways to me it's my facebook i just relish it talk on facebook you understand to the point where i'm purposely inappropriate just to get people in that space yeah 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 yeah. responses to provoke arguments to provoke conversation and that to me it it hasn't come to my detriment but it certainly has made trying to be you know there sometimes you know they want to drag the, the doll they want to drag the doll but I, I have survived, you know? <laughs> do you all, um, so do you all think if the, I guess the, the Trinbagonians, you know, we have to include um, Tobago, the Trinbagonians who, <laughs> who, um, who live abroad coming back home, do you think that's going to help the cultural change? Or do you think if all of us come back home, we're going to be shift back to our previous culture? I think if I, were- I think I don't feel like if a lot of people at home are necessarily receptive of people coming back in and for yeah. good reasons sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I think people live abroad for a long time and come back in thinking that they're savior, like they almost have that white savior complex. Uh-huh. So there's that. And then also and and, and I guess with that because of that, and good right, sometimes people don't want to listen. I feel sometimes that like you forget. I don't want to say you forget where you're from. But you forget the situations that they're working with when they come back to Trinidad. Yes. So, mm-hmm. what do you say? Out, out of sight, something was he saying? Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, out of, yeah, wherever. But, <laughs> <laughs> but all, I, I am, I am actually working on this essay right now called um, West Indian Sin, where it talks about the effects that people like us feel, the effects of living in the Caribbean, even if it's for a short time, even if it's to get education how you are scorned, so to speak. Even, mm-hmm. if, even if you were to return, you would never be a true Trinbagonian. 
your yeah. perspectives, your different lens of looking at things, mm-hmm. your different ways of doing at things robs you of the ability of being a true, authentic Trimigonian. God forbid, God forbid you pronounce something differently. Your ass is grass. You understand? I know. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, I grew up with that already. So. It's so, but it's so hard. Like, you know, like here, I don't know. I could hear my accent going in and out, talking to Yeah, talking. yeah. But, you know, before I came on earlier, like, it's just like, because I, I was speaking to Americans, so... You know, you have to slow... We speak real fast. Yeah, we do. And we also speak... We... We... Trinidadians speak in context. They'll say... I'm, you see what she do there? And what do you mean? Yeah. There's 10 cheese, but all of we know what you're talking about, eh? Right, you see right. what she do there? But we all know exactly... So I think it's a, just a strange thing when you have to change the way of thinking because sometimes I do that here and people are like, excuse me? What are you talking about? And I'm like... <laughs> Trinidadians... So if I tell you, <laughs> I don't tell you, I want to tell you again. So the next time I go and force an accent, yeah, irritating, irritating. I know. So, but that's to the part about going back home. They're going to keep reminding you that you know you're not here or you're not, you know, you're not one of us anymore. You, you do even have to live abroad, like Paige. Paige, like she's not living here. She came to study wherever she may or may not live in the U.S. in the future. We don't know. Miss Lady here and the people in Madrid, she be in <laughs> You understand? I know me going back there. But, <laughs> but all I say is whether or not you have intentions of going back at the end of the day, the fact that having anytime you have too much experience outside of Trinidad Tobago, you automatically rub off your, your badge. You're no longer oh, one yeah. of, the, of the natives. And it's a sad thing, but it's it's a reality. The moment you think against the green or you go against the norm, yes, it's grass. You understand? Or you, you feel you're sting because you went to the U.S. Yeah, yes. 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 I went to America 20 years ago. Let's still bring it up, boy. You feel better than people. That is so true that you say. Because I have an uncle and he came up here to go to school. And I mean, my uncle is in his 50s. And I went home two years ago and we taught, you know, and they're laughing and whatever. We're having a little cook or whatever. And they're talking about, hey, Captain America, come, come, come. Call my uncle. Yeah. He had, he literally went to oh, man. <laughs> This man literally went to school over 20 years ago in the U.S. And they will <laughs> never let him live it down. <laughs> Not Captain America. A betrayal. It's a real yes, betrayal. Yeah. It's, like it's like, how dare you choose the white people over we? Mm-hmm. But it's not that, it's that you just, tr- it's so, it's hard to be home and do the things that you truly want to do because of racism. Uh, yeah. And that's so hard to be home and or lack, live. Of, or lack of yes. opportunity. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I always think about the fact that, like, honestly, as much as I love Trinidad and Tobago, it's not home to me and I, I do not plan to move back home because I can't do anything. <laughs> that's why <tired. laughs> <laughs> I like, I can't live the life that I want to live in Trinidad, marry which woman, yeah. and live with, you know? I can't. There's real bosses, I'm, I'm, I'm bottle pelting behind all you. <laughs> it's hard. That's, that's why yeah. I always, because one of my, I think you all know Abigail Johnson from, mm-hmm. she posted once on Twitter, um, she, I think she retweeted once that somebody was saying, um, um, how well it is leave Trinidad boy or something like that to whatever. And I was, yeah. And I was just like, it's quite easy. 
um, <laughs> it's like a no brainer. Like, <laughs> because when I think about the, con- the, the contingencies of my identity, I feel as though, although living in the US is a quote unquote war zone, yeah, the contingencies are way more digestible living in the US. Understand? And it's in a war zone that you are equipped to fight. I feel exactly. like yeah. Yeah. you're yeah. not equipped to fight certain things. There are protections in place for people like me living in the US. Mm-hmm. But the other, they cut your throat in I a heartbeat. I mean, I love that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> apparently, now you can get bacon shark in New York. I saw this place selling bacon shark. Listen, it hurts that I, it hurts that I will not because I'm living here now that I will I, I will miss out a lot of things that happen in Trinidad, particularly because I have such a huge family. I have yeah. six siblings and my sisters are at the point in their life where they're having kids and I'm missing out yeah. on days with the parties. My parents are getting older. My mom turns yeah. next year. My my dad turns fifty seven this year. Like those are particular milestones that I would like to share with them. But mm-hmm. I always tell people that there's a price. And I am yep. willing to pay the price to live the life that I would like to live. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have to deal with it. There are times when I'm able to go home. There are times when they're going to have to come and meet me. There are times when we'll meet each other outside of Trinidad. But it's just, it's, it, it is what it is. And that's part of mm-hmm. life. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same way how I could have grown up and moved to Bigo or I could have grown up and moved to Arima. Like, sis, I live in the U.S. now. So mm-hmm. we're going to figure it out. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really not that serious. Again, I think that for West Indian people, it is like a betrayal. It is like a, a, a big sin it, to, to leave the Caribbean, to leave Trinidad. Yeah, but, like, why would you leave paradise? Like, yeah, but Gil, I just but paradise that. for whom? That's right, right. Thing. Yeah, it goes back to, to those different types of privilege that, that we know that they don't want. That we have. Yeah. And they don't want to acknowledge it, too. And, it's, mm-hmm. and I mean, I mm-hmm. agree with everything. Like, it's just it's so, like, I thought I was going to be done with school here in 2015 and go back home Were you and nope <laughs> huh i said you really taught the most because <laughs> and then i was like every, you know just every time it's just like another thing another thing another thing and, oh let me go back and do this let me go back in school again let me go back and do this here until you just because you don't want to acknowledge it's not home is not the paradise you thought it was you know what yeah. i mean for you mm-hmm. it's not home. home for you yeah so even like when I go home, like I just be like, okay. But that's good for seven. Yeah, is. it is very it good. Is. It is very good for like oh, it's feel like I have a love hate relationship with Trinidad. And I, I feel like over the years I've come to identify as a Caribbean person versus a Trinidadian, whatever that means. Cause I didn't really figure it out for sure, for sure, yeah. But um yeah, it is hurtful because I feel like I have a lot to offer Trinidad and I also as much as I have this problem, it's a space that I feel comfortable in for the most part and it's a space that I enjoy. And if things were different, I would like to live there. But I really don't see a future there, you know? Or I don't see a future where I would be happy there, I should say, which yeah. is hard. And it's, it's, it's not only hard and hurtful for you, it's hard and hurtful for your family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like my family has always been very family, family, family. We're very close-knit and stuff like that. So yeah. Me not being home is a huge thing. Yeah. My yeah. family who vowed that they would never come to the U.S. because they ain't going to have a place, blah, blah, blah. It's so hard to have a, a relationship with family who are tied to to Trinidad. 
Yeah. Of course, the status quo in Trinidad benefits them. My mm-hmm. sisters, they have found a life, you know, home. They have good jobs. They have families. They're growing their own little families on the side. But for people like me, I can't really have a family in Trinidad without being under constant scrutiny and having to deal with a lot of unnecessary things for the year, for this year, 2020 of our Lord. Um, and that's just something that I, I, I can't do, especially when I know there is opportunity elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be so. I can do yeah. this elsewhere. I can be elsewhere. I can, I can take advantage. I would tell you too, that I feel as if when I'm, when I'm here, there are people who see me and instantly recognize me for the value that I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people here who push me in particular directions who would not that I think I would have those opportunities home mm-hmm. there are people who even if they were to quote unquote exoticize me at the same time they put me to work here like things that I really want to do but when you're dealing with a small chicken coop with a true animal farm kind of politics it's crazy yeah. mm-hmm. it's crazy that people would try to create these imaginary cliques with these imaginary class systems that don't exist because all are we poor. <laughs> it's black. Every single one are we. All are we poor, you know, up in, um, After that, we all go to the same beach. Yeah, the same beach, the same tripartite, the same best. Like, come on, spread the feed. Let all are we eat. Uh, but not here, this is, you have more opportunity. You can, you can do more things. Uh, again, there are contingencies to that arrangement, but yeah. It's either that to go back to URP or CPEP for me, so I figure it out. <laughs> why you? Why you going so far down the wrong? What's that? I'm not going to OJT, but you see that disrespect that is going to give OJT? I luckily never do the OJT. It's because they don't know out here. You don't have them thing. <laughs> Listen, yeah, here's a real suffering here, you know. They don't yeah. understand. I know my mother's like, you work in, what is it, 60 hours? I say, yeah, yep. Five days a week, 12 hour shifts. What do you need? But I am in the light of Anika having her blog and her podcast. You know, I I'm, I want to encourage any one of us who have any kind of ideas like this to celebrate the diaspora one and to do their thing, you know, while they're outside of the Caribbean or outside of Trinidad and Tobago, to do it because it, it has it has its value. You know, mm-hmm. we are basically exiles who still feed off the energy of <laughs> exiles. <laughs> like that's how I think about it. We are exiles who still feed off the energy of, of our source, you know. As much as I can't live in Trinidad, I will tell you that my energy comes from Trinidad. Oh, yeah. It does. Oh, yeah. My identity yeah. is Trinidad, too. So yeah. I, so I, I always reach back to pull forward. Like, I need their prayer. I need their energy or whatever to go to mm-hmm. interview, to do this presentation, to do whatever. So it has its value. And us reaching out to each other as members of the diaspora, <laughs> <laughs> it has value, <laughs> It's so important. Like when I when I thought about this whole thing, the first thing I thought about, of course, is because I talked to Akita so often. I said, Oh my god, I need to reach out the page. I do each other's we said, Oh my god, all of us we're not home, you know, we have to reach mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Like, yeah. All yeah. we have in this yep. time and in this space, like we have to reach out to each other. So, you know, this is very valuable. This conversation, this interaction is very valuable. 
Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a nice conversation. Yeah, definitely, guys. Thank you all.